There's a lot of competition now with restaurants. So look at all the restaurants within this very short space here that you had choices to go to. That's true for everybody now. That's that's just the way it is. And to distinguish yourself, you got to do something either with your menus or just your advertising. It's so bad in Montrose. Up, they call up on the hill. Yeah. Burger King closed. Burger King closed. How do you close Burger King? I know. How does that happen, right? And Burger King doesn't even have that many restaurants. Have you ever seen how few Burger Kings there really are? There, you got to go a long way to find a Burger King now. I never understood that, but but uh, yeah. So well, I hope everybody got enough to eat. I can tell you did. Your pride and joy. Okay. All right. Well, we're we're glad you're here, and we're glad you're. Uh, Everybody got a good uh, good meal in. We have. Um, I'm going to let um, uh, Mrs. Gaines, the hostess with the mostess, remind everyone of what we have as our little spreads. Uh, and we do have. Are you ready to announce what we have? Uh, we have. Well, for tonight we've got thanks to Miss Elaine. We've got sweets. We've got slices of cake. We've got cookies. Many lemon tarts. If you want those, if you're more salty, we've got all types of chips. There's a French onion dip back there in small cups. You can put some dip in if you'd like to take that with you. We have fruit. We're saving it for tomorrow if that's okay. Unless maybe we just have a hanker for all that and I can open it up tonight. And we will have food for you guys tomorrow, including chip for minis, which is Patrick. That's his personal request. <laughs> So we'll have <laughs> 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 he raised his head and smiled, everybody. That's all you need to know. The restaurants are out this door and right yes. around the corner. If you're out this door and stand under the hall, look to your left, you see another hall. The restrooms are right there. They're right around the corner, literally, yeah. out the door. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, when we're done, when we're done, just if you didn't catch that, you're welcome to take snacks back with you to your room. Um, so you might be you might be munching it at ten o'clock. You never know. Before you pass out. Yes. They have a microwave, but it's almost hidden. Are we allowed to use that? They do have a microwave. It's almost parallel with the desk. Yes, I saw that. It's kind of hidden. I know we're going to be using it tomorrow to heat up the Chick-fil-A mini. I have like a popcorn thing, but there's no microwave in the room. So I was just wondering, are you allowed to use it? See why you're not. I'm pretty sure you can use it. I mean, we're going to be using it tomorrow, tomorrow morning for sure. So, because we asked about if they have a microwave, and apparently that is the microwave. So, um, that's over by their little kitchenette thing where you can buy the, the, the kitchen food. And then, 
that kitchen food, you know, by the way, if you buy that food, you're going to pay like $40 or something for a bag, a bag of chips or whatever it is. So, so you probably, you probably won't, I wouldn't recommend that. You know, that's like if you have like a little kitchenette in your, in your room and you have that thing, you can order that food. It's like, oh yeah, oh, I'm hungry. And it's like 50 bucks. <laughs> you get done using that. So I wouldn't advise that unless you're really hungry. Um, but we have snacks here that you'll be able to use and enjoy. So, um, well, we're going to go ahead and get started, uh, only because I think that um, we're close to 7.45, and it looks like everyone is back who's going to be back, uh, based upon who um, uh, was here earlier, and we, we want to have a target to try to finish up by about 8.30, 8.30-ish, so I think we'll still be on target for doing that. A little bit more in-depth uh, tonight with some observations, some study. So we'll, we'll get started and do that right now. So just to, as a part B for those who were here before about the believe it aspect of it, we're just going to continue that right now. Now, in your packets, if you have a packet and if you've already gotten your packet, we're going to look at the words faith and believe. You're going to see in your packet two handouts. Both of them have the Merriam-Webster logo up on the upper left-hand corner. And I'd like for you to pull out the word believe first. Well, you can pull them both out. Believe in faith. And I want you to look at these and understand it's when we've used the terminology, words mean things, it's very important for us to look at what these words represent and what they stand for. So we'll do this real quick, and we'll just go and look over the handouts, faith and believe. First, believe, and we're literally doing it like in alphabetical order for believe. Notice that, and you're going to see that believe is a verb, and the word faith, when we get to it, is a noun. That's important for understanding. So first, look at what it says about the word believe. And, of course, the, the, the words believed and believing are also part of that. Transitive verb. To consider to be true or honest, as in believe the reports, you wouldn't believe how long it took. <laughs> or B, to accept the word or evidence of, I believe you, couldn't believe my ears. And number two, to hold as an opinion... Suppose, as in, or suppose, as in, I believe it will rain soon. See, these are all the different ways we use the word believe. Intransitive verb, to accept something as true, genuine or real, ideals we believe in, or as in, believes in ghosts. B, to have a firm or wholehearted religious conviction or persuasion, to regard the existence of God as a fact. Do you believe? Usually used with in as in believe in the scriptures. To have a firm conviction as to the goodness, efficacy, which is the power to produce an effect, or ability of something, as in believe in exercise. Some of us in this room believe in exercise. Amen? Amen. 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 And some of us believe in exercising. No, never mind. I was going to make a bad joke. (laughs) It was very tempting, but I said, no, that's okay. 
But most of us believe in exercise. Amen? Amen. 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 Very good. All right. So we do believe in that, and there's a reason why we believe in it, because there's a, a, a health effect, obviously, to it. And then to hold an opinion or think, as in I believe so. Now, if you look back at that definition here, especially that 1B about the existence of God as a fact, as in do you believe. Now, these are pulled right out of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Um, in fact, we looked it up online. I looked it up online, and this is what I got right out. These are the definitions of the word believe. But note that believe is a verb. It's an act. So that's something we have to see here, okay? The other thing is the now, let's look at the one that says faith. Definition of faith. Please feel free to ask questions if they come up. Uh, don't want to rush through this. I just want to kind of move through it methodically. All right, so definition of faith. Plural is the word faiths. Um, and it says in definitions, one, one, a allegiance to a duty or a person. As in loyalty, where someone may, using it in a sentence, lost faith in the company's president. B, fidelity to one's promises. Number two, sincerity of intentions acted in good faith. 2A, belief in trust and trust in loyalty to God. Belief in the traditional doctrines of a religion. Firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Clinging to the faith that her missing son would one day return. Or number two, complete trust. Something that is believed especially with strong conviction, especially a system of religious beliefs, such as the Protestant faith where it's all lumped together as a statement, as a noun under the Protestant faith. So now you can see how there's a discussion below that I included about the synonym discussion of faith. And note the words that are being used. Belief, faith, credence, credit mean assent to the truth of something offered for acceptance. Belief may or may not imply certitude, which is being certain, complete assurance, confidence in the believer, my belief that I caught all the errors. Faith almost always implies certitude when there is no evidence of proof, as an unshakable faith in God. Credence suggests intellectual assent without implying anything about grounds for assent. A theory now given credence by scientists is an example. And credit may imply assent on grounds other than direct proof. Gave full credit to the statement of a reputable witness. Now, what these definitions are trying to give you is the difference between belief, if I were to summarize it in just a very quick way of saying it, belief is a verb, which is an action word, and that's what starts the discussion about belief and believing in something. You either believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or you don't. Faith is, everybody has faith in something. That is the end result of what you believe. Whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not is a reflection of what you have faith in. You know, for example, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have faith in what? You trust yourself. And only yourself. Okay? But the end game here is this thing about faith. But what you're seeing here is that believing in something does have a very important effect on what you ultimately have faith in. You can almost do like a circular diagram where you've got belief on one end that points to faith and it goes back to what you believe and even refining and improving upon that. 
as you progress as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? This belief thing and this faith thing is being challenged all the time. It's an ongoing challenge that you have. It's an ongoing thought process. And there's all different kinds of aspects to it that probably are just too complicated to get into during this weekend. I mean, we could. We could spend a lot of time with this. But ultimately, what you have faith in starts with what you believe. And you believe something based upon what? Information. Information, whether it's provided by what the world gives you, by what the church gives you, by what you read, what you're exposed to, where you come up, where you grow up. You are being given information from the time you're a baby up until today. And it's being refined, and you learn some new things over time. You're exposed to different things. You see different things. I would, I would challenge everyone, if you can travel and just get out of town once in a while and see different things, you're going to experience new things in your life and see things maybe a little bit differently than what you would see them if you were just here in Akron all the time. I'm not no slight against Akron. That you could be living anywhere. But it is gonna be shaping the way you see things as far as perspectives go. Certainly, cultural experiences are always gonna be a beneficial thing to see because you'll know that different cultures have different beliefs based upon what? What they've been exposed to, what they've seen. When we have international workers go to different countries, what do we have to do? We need to learn about that culture we're going to and learn what they're exposed to. It doesn't mean that you adapt what they do, but you need to have understanding about that to be able to do what? Communicate with them. You need to know what the foundational beliefs are in that culture to be able to assimilate, to be able to have conversations with people doesn't change what you believe or what you have faith in, but I'll, I promise you, if you don't assimilate, you won't be able to relate. And they won't let you relate. You won't be able to have a conversation with folks about Jesus Christ if you don't get along with them. And that could be true going across the street talking to somebody. You have to learn about the other person. you got to learn where they come from. You can't pontificate you can't talk to people because you look like you're talking down to people. You need to learn more about that person. So that's why it's important to understand this whole thing about belief and faith. Certainly it has personal relevance to you about why you're doing what you're doing. And that's really what we want to talk about more as we go along. But I was giving you examples of why it's important to know about what you believe and where your faith is and how we'll grow in that. In Mark 29.3b, it says, Everything is possible for him who believes. That's the last part of that verse. Mark 9.23b, Everything is possible for him who believes. Now remember what we said at the beginning, everything is a key word. And everything may mean different things to different people. The definition of everything has never changed. Amen? Everything means everything. There was a, what was that, 
phrase back in the day. Everything is everything. Everything is everything. See? That's a long time ago. Some of you young youngsters don't know anything about it. No, we do. Oh, you do know about everything is everything? Oh, it's an old soul up here. Okay. Careful. Well, everything, well, everything is everything. Jim? <laughs> so. You got a twang, Dad. I got a twang? Yeah, thang. Everything is everything. There you go. There you go. Everything is relevant to the individual. When God says everything, He means everything. Which is everything that comes under His sphere of influence. Which is what? Everything. But you can affect what everything means in your life. It can be limited to a very small circle. But that's up to you. But we're not putting limitations on what God can do. The fundamentals of belief are that what you believe is true without tangible, palpable, or material proof. You get that? Fundamentals of belief are that what you believe is true without tangible, palpable, or material proof. So that's what believing is all about. Your faith is rooted in what you believe. That's why I said believe is the action word. So your faith is rooted in what you believe. You're going to have faith in whatever your belief premise is. If you believe that there are aliens from another planet, you will find yourself following after... Now, this is, this is not meant to be a joke. This is true for a lot of people. Especially for those of you who know about Roswell, New Mexico, and, and all this stuff. Especially... You know, you're going to find yourself following after the old conspiracies of the 60s and 70s, doing this research on all those strange lights in the sky and the fast-moving spaceships. You guys remember this stuff? Um, where they would actually put stuff in newspapers. You'll see in this picture of this light in the sky. You know, it's a black-and-white photo. You don't know what you're looking at. It could be whatever you're looking at. Or studying writings about Area 51, or even watching that show on TV, which they brought back called The X-Files. The X-Files is back on TV after being off the, off the air for like 20 years, seems like. But there are people who watch that stuff because it's entertaining to them and because they probably, secretly, maybe even believe some of this stuff. The truth is out there. That's what they say. Perhaps you would believe that the truth is out there. Well, that's just an example of what people can have faith in. And what they believe because they think it's true. Even though the evidence is sketchy at best, but that doesn't stop them from believing it. That example is there, and I'm giving it to you because I want to show you how we all believe in something. We all have a belief in something. But we also need to take into account that there are some things that we should be believing when it comes to our faith. One of the most important things that we can talk about when we're even talking to somebody who is a potential new believer is Romans 10.9. And the word believe is in there, in that verse. If you want to use your Bible to turn to it, you can. Uh, I mean, I'll just mention it. I'm, I won't mention it again, but you've got your Bible or you've got your electronic device. Feel free to flip to it or jot down the verse. For Romans 10.9... 
one of the most important things when you're discipling people, this verse is very powerful by itself. From a contextual standpoint, this verse stands on its own when it comes to believing in Jesus Christ. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That verse stands alone. Now, what are the key words in that verse? Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because what you're doing is you're saying that Jesus Christ is something other than an ordinary person. He clearly has power. Because he's the one who was raised from the dead. He has the ability to to forgive your sins. You're acknowledging that by confessing that he's Lord of your life. That verse alone is a powerful verse for discipling other people. Now notice, all it takes for you to be saved is what? Believing. You don't have to know anything else about Jesus Christ at that point in your life. When we prayed that prayer with your dad, he was at the point where he recognized he needed something. He needed someone. You know, when I heard those words, I haven't been very good in my life. This was within a week before he passed on. I never would have heard those words when he was healthy, walking around, talking. But he actually said now he's ready for something different. And that's why you got to keep praying. you got to keep praying. Because all it takes is believing. No tricks, nothing fancy, nothing out of the ordinary. Just believing. But that's a very important word. That's where it starts. So for those of us who are still here, and we've made that declaration for who the Lord is, for our own personal lives, that belief was just the beginning. That's just the starting point. Another verse to look at, Acts 16, verses 30 and 31. Now, if you remember in the book of Acts, this is when the great sermon was going on. And Peter was speaking to a group of people. And ultimately, it came down to just declaring, when people asked the question, well, let's just read the verse. I'm going to read the NIV version. He then brought them, Paul and Silas, I'm referencing who they are, out and ask, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, there's the question. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, that's an interesting statement. But what's the key word there? Believe. Just believe. Just believe in who He is. Believe in who He represents. Believe in what He stands for. Just believe it. I've said this before, and I I don't know if Pastor Gus or Pastor Travis agree with me, but I think some of us have made this thing about witnessing to people a lot more difficult than it really is. Because all we're asking people to do is just believe it and not make it this big scientific experiment 
We can teach about Jesus later. The most important thing is to get him to believe. Of course, the Spirit has to do that. I know all that stuff. I understand all that stuff. But sometimes it's just as simple as saying, believe in what Jesus represents. Believe in who he represents. Faith and what you believe are much like blood relatives. Just like family, they can work well together or they can be in conflict. You get that? They can work well together or they can be in conflict. The conflict, obviously, is going to be on what you believe and if it has a conflict with the faith that we understand. For your faith in Jesus Christ to be healthy, your belief in Christ must continue to grow. For your faith in Jesus Christ to be healthy, your belief in Christ must continue to grow. This is all about once you have a new believer and getting them exposed to the Word, getting them in fellowship with other people, fellowship with other believers. Because what's the first thing that happens to them? What now? What now? Well, there has to be a growth that takes place. How does that growth take place? Well, that person has to learn about how to listen to the Spirit. Is that something they learn right away? No, they don't know anything about that. There has to be an ongoing process of learning in that. Yes? We, yeah, I mean, it's, it, this is all about, ultimately about, if they don't believe correctly, there is going to be something that need, they need to be exposed to people around them that can give them that information to help them with that. We've had people who come into our church like that, where they believe something differently. But we've had Jehovah's Witnesses come into our church. Well, it's been a while. They believe that you can lose their salvation like once you say, not once saved, always saved. Right. It starts getting, it's just like, well, they believe in Jesus, but what they believe about him is, is I'm okay with Jesus until I mess up and I can lose my salvation and i got to earn it back. That's right. And then when do I lose it and when do I gain it and how bad do I have to be? Yep. That's going to be an ongoing, that's an ongoing training. Because, yeah, it depends on what you've been exposed to. Remember I said different people come from different places. They're, they have different challenges of belief structures, which affects what? Their faith, ultimately. So when you're saying not believing correctly, it's sort of like uh, what you just said. Yeah. But like people believe that you're going to go to hell if you commit suicide. That's right. So that's not believing but that's what's been taught yeah I mean that's been a teaching though so now what do you have to do you have to literally overcome this other teaching you have to kind of work with that because you know it's not about arguing with somebody either because you have to go back and do what you've got to go back to you've got to be prayerful about it you've got to be prayerful and ask the spirit to give you words to use that's right that's right and that was the third thing I was going to mention. Take them into the Word and show them a passage about sin and what what the ultimately the only sin is that God will not forgive. And the only sin that God will not forgive is what? So really, so really, we're teaching. We're teaching wrong out of our own ideas. Some of us are teaching incorrectly. Yes. 
Some of us are teaching incorrectly. But unfortunately, that's based upon what? What you've been exposed to. Which is generational. Which is generational. Because that's what our grandpa or grandma Yeah. Pass it on. Pass it on to the kids, that's right. If they're not indifferent altogether because they're confused by it. Which is the other thing, too. It's a challenge, isn't it? It, it, we have to understand that if there's a conflict between this faith and belief, and there and there are many ways you can have conflict. The, obviously, the most obvious one is the incorrect teaching, or the teaching that comes. Does someone else have their hand up? I'm sorry. Yeah, I yes. Because of incorrect teaching, we have to be deprogrammed in order to be. Yes, that is correct. Did everybody hear that? Because of the incorrect teaching that some of us have been exposed to, we have to be deprogrammed. We almost have to like have our hard drives wiped clean and start over again and reformat it with the correct data. How's that for using the... But that's exactly what you're doing. You have to reformat that drive and start over again. Either they've been taken hostage or yes. after certain situations they had to actually be talked to. Yes. Yeah. You have to retrain your head. There are two people here just affirmed what you just said. <laughs> I used to hear my dad talk about being debriefed. Debriefed. Yeah. After you come out of war. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. You have to. It's a totally different experience. There's nothing that you'll ever experience ever in your life ever again in going to war. Nothing like that. It's a completely different thing. So you have to be debriefed, deprogrammed, whatever you want to call it, because you're coming out of that mentality. You're having to come back and assimilate into this society. Some of the people coming out of cults. That's right. Cults is another issue. Cults are around. So, and with so prejudice too, right? Prejudice, any... That's right. That comes from a whole line of family members raising them to hate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Yes. Is that why we're have, having a hard time re- reconciling the world to Jesus Christ because of all these things that you've mentioned? You said I mean, it. Nobody wants yeah. to come to church. Nobody wants to hear about Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. No. That's because right. of different values, right is wrong and wrong is right. That's right. What Scripture has been saying, too, all along, that you're going to have that. The most encouraging thing we can say about today is that there are millennials, I'm using that category of people, that actually do want to seek after truth. There, that, is a, that is a predominant underlying belief. They want truth. They want to see truth. They want to experience truth. Now, how that manifests itself in behaviors, I can't get into. But the but but, but he's not in my his head. I mean, he's a millennial. So uh, when I'm looking at that, that is true. If you do research and look this stuff up, they do want truth. They want to seek after truth. Now, how that manifests itself does that mean more church attendance? Maybe. But the most important thing we got to take out of that, though, is that they want to see truth. Remember, some generations don't care about that, like this generation does. So 
So that's that's at least hope. We have to look at it from that standpoint. Yeah. They had a seminar and the gentleman was bringing that part of the video. I knew his dad quite well. Okay. They're different. The difference with the millennial, like you said, he wants to know why before he does. Right. Now, my thing wrinkle, you have me why? I'm a teacher. Yeah. That's a different generation, though. That's right. You're not following that order. That's right. Could cause the life Mm. of 10, 15 other people. Right. I didn't have time to go through your whys and your rationale, but I gave you an order. That's what had to be done. That's here. right. We didn't have time. That's right. To get now to explain the order. <laughs> Very true. Looking for truth behind it. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think most people who sign up for the military, though, even even today, they understand that and they're trained. Well, right. I think that's part of our problem. See, right. we don't come back. Right. Part of the problem is one person has stated is that they're going over expecting something else. Right. And then when they hit the reality, mm-hmm. it doesn't fit right. the mental. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I got you. Well, just keep that in mind as we look at this about the seeking after truth, okay? So there's going to be a passage here that we're going to look at for a little bit of a, a stretch here. And I want you to, to look at this. But what I want you to take away from this is that your faith in Jesus Christ to be healthy and, and your belief in Christ has to keep growing. It cannot remain stagnant or even as simple as what merely involves believing that just Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus himself implies that your belief in him as well as your faith must increase. Your faith must increase, which is what Scripture says. Now, we're going to look at Mark 9, verses 14 through 29. And I want you to, if you, if you have your Bible or your electronic device, let's follow along. Because there is some something in here, there's some deep teaching within this passage that I want you to take away from this. And I'm going to set this up a little bit. This is right after when we look in the passage about when Jesus was up on the mountaintop with the three disciples... And he just had, you know, he turned white and he was talking to, was it Abraham? Um, help me out here. Abraham, I'm blanking out. Isaac. Yeah, that's it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm, they were all together. And they wanted to build a tabernacle for him and all that. So those were the three disciples who were with him. And now this is after this is occurring here. So let's look at this. Where they had left after that experience... And they were exposed to all of this. And, and for whatever reason, we don't know why those three were there, but they're going to go, come and join the other nine disciples. The heading in this area is the power of faith over a demon. So let's start with verse 14. When they came to the disciples, from the Christian Standard Bible, just follow along in your version. Verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd was saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Verse 19. He replied to them, You unbelieving generation, 
How long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him, Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown himself, thrown, it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, sidebar. The child still lived even though the demon tried to destroy him. Keep that in mind. Because what you have to understand, we're dealing with a Jesus, this is, this comes back to believing stuff, okay, and believing in his power and his ability. I promise you, Jesus kept this child alive for this moment. Kept him alive. Let's move on. Jesus said to him, if you, okay, wait. Yeah, but if you can have anything, have compassion on us and help help us. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Now that's just randomly thrown in there. That's the verse we covered earlier. Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Very important words. It's doubt, but you'll have to understand, we'll we'll cover that a little bit more, but remember the words, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, ta-da, a crowd is gathering. Now you're going to have witnesses take place into what's going on. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him up, raised him, and he stood up. After he had gone to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we drive it out? Verse 29, He told them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Some passages say also fasting. But in other words, we're still talking about a very intense prayer. Meditation. If fasting comes with it, that's fine. But we're talking about something that's very specific. Now, let's look back at this with a little bit of historical background here. The disciples already had the ability to drive out demons. They already had that ability. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been trying to drive this one out. We know about that. Jesus gave them the ability to do this. If you look at Mark 6 and 7, 6, 7, and also verse 13, he already gave them that ability. In this instance, the disciples had apparently neglected the element of prayer within their healing process. It was a lesson for them. And we know that. Because they hadn't prayed. How come we couldn't do it? They just wouldn't try to do it. But Jesus had to tell them, you got to pray to get this demon out. We know that they neglected it because that's what happened in this passage. It was an element of prayer. It was a lesson for them that their ongoing development, remember I said ongoing development, 
Because the disciples are being trained just like you're being trained. They were, it's their ongoing development as believers. It required them to seek God in prayer whenever their efforts were met with greater opposition or difficulty. Guess what you should be doing when you're running into difficulty? Praying. Praying. It's necessary for God to be the help in this. Now, it did not mean that they did not already have the power to remove the demon, because they did, but they needed to not just rely upon only what Jesus commissioned them to do. They needed to pray for strength, energy, and insight from the one who gave them this ability. In other words, the very one that gave them the ability to do this healing, they weren't really relying upon until they were told they needed to pray and rely upon him. Look, Jesus set that example in John 17. What was he doing? Praying to the Father. When he was doing what? Going through difficulty. He was having that moment as a human being where it was like, can I die on the cross? Should I die on the cross? Is there another way to do this? He was praying. There had to be an increase in their capability to drive out the demon with prayer and, of course, the other manuscripts say fasting as well, too, which is a very deep form of development and training within their ministry. How many of you have ever fasted before? Is fasting easy? No. no. Oh, no. <laughs> Especially coming from him. <laughs> but what does fasting do? It puts you in a whole different realm of dependence upon the Lord. That's what fasting does. It does It does an awakening, if anything. It really gets you thinking about, first of all, why you're fasting and what you're trying to accomplish. It's a very deep form of development and training. Jesus challenges the people to believe and yet, and do, and yet do even more. Understand that believe even more. Believe and believe even more. As to what can be done. The father of the boy prayed for Jesus to help his unbelief. Well, guess what? Greater belief overcomes your unbelief. That's what we need to take away from this. Greater belief overcomes your unbelief. Everyone has trouble with unbelief. It's not a crime. It's an acknowledgement of truth. We all have bouts of unbelief. And the way we overcome that is believe more. That may sound like an, almost like a conflict to say that. But what it means is that you're really putting yourself out there now and saying, you know what, Lord, help me with this. So you're going to have a greater belief. All told, we struggle with belief because we falter with unbelief. What suffers from this unbelief? Our faith. Our faith suffers from it. We also must remember that your belief must be reinforced with faith. Belief alone does not matter without faith. James 2.19. Understand something. This is kind of a sobering passage. If you look at James 2.19, you can turn to it or just jot it down for reference. But we got to understand something. 
belief by itself is okay, but we have to be challenged sometimes to do even more with our belief. And here's why. In James 2.19, I'm reading from the NIV version. It says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Well, there's no demons in here. Amen? Amen. There's only like four amens to that? Amen. What was this? More than that. Yeah, they have a belief system too. So when it comes down to believing in things, we have to understand that we as believers need to do more and just keep striving to do more when it comes to this belief. Belief alone must be supported with faith and visible action that reflects your faith. That comes from James 2.24. Belief alone must be supported with faith and visible action that reflects your faith. Now, that's a really interesting comment, isn't it? Faith is about believing in something or trusting in something you can't see. But your lifestyle has to follow that premise. Your lifestyle has to follow that premise. How you live should reflect what you believe and what you have faith in. That's important from a discipleship perspective, a ministry perspective, a fellowship perspective, when you're working and living with other people within the church. And it's not phony, it's genuine. Anybody can fake. (coughs) Okay? We have enough fakers out there. But genuine faith requires a genuine lifestyle of belief that supports that. More on that action part later. Okay? Obstacles. And we're going to wrap up with this for tonight. Don't let them happen. And this is a good premise to think about for this evening as we go into tomorrow. Because we're going to have obstacles that are going to affect our faith. To experience growth in Jesus Christ, there must be an acknowledgement of the following. You all see that? To experience growth in Jesus Christ, there must be an acknowledgement of the following. Number one, God's presence through the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's pretty important. (laughs) There has to be, you have to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is the one who is helping you with this growth in Christ. So this is somewhat elementary. I mean, frankly, you, you kind of understand this as you expose more and more to it. The second thing is a desire to live better than you have in the past. An ongoing renewal of your mind. And that's from Romans 12 too. In other words, not only do you need to acknowledge the presence of the Spirit, But you also have the desire to learn to live and get better than you were before. What do we always want for our children? We wanted our children to have a better life than we had. I mean, that's that's generational. That's something that we've always understood. You always want your kids to do better 
you certainly wouldn't want them to do worse than what you did. Amen? So you want them to do better. Well, that's the same for us. We want better for our lives than what we've had in the past. And not necessarily because we had a hard life or a bad life, but because we were babes in Christ at one point, now we want to be more mature in Christ. And when I was a babe in Christ, I, I had a lot to learn. Romans 12, 2. You guys know what that verse is. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, the obstacle in Romans 12, 2, if you look at that passage, is about this age that we live in, the world we live in. That's an obstacle. It says, don't be conformed by the world because that the world will conform you and take you away from your faith if you allow it to happen. The world will do that because Satan would love nothing better than to knock you out and take you out of the whole picture when it comes to being a disciple for Christ. And he's you've seen evidence of that. Very public examples of that. The old Jimmy Swaggerts, the old Jim Bakers, the old... Forget about what their faith was or what, or how they did what they did, but ultimately they came down and they dissolved into nothingness. Bishop Long. Public examples of that. Where basically the world affected them in such a way where it damaged their ministry. And we can, we can say that without really just any evidence of it other than the fact that we, you, you saw the proof of it. You saw what happened to them. I mean, for those of you who remember Jimmy Swaggart, he had a prostitute not once, but twice. After he had made a confession about it. So he had a worldly problem that he could not overcome. Yes. Verse 1. Romans 12.1. Who has Romans 12.1 open they can read out loud? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Amen. Um, yeah, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Mrs. Wells could have just said it. She knows it by memory. What's that? Is there something secret going on? Right? <laughs> okay. If you don't do verse 1... You're going to have trouble with verse 2. Right. Absolutely right. In this world, but you have to make the effort to present your body. That's right. As a living sacrifice. Now what are we going to just get through saying about your faith? It has to be a living example of it. You have to live the living sacrifice. That demonstrates your faith. You know, I was just going to say, the reason I was saying that is one of my scriptures. This is your true and proper worship. That's right. King James says... It's reasonable. Reasonable for you to do so. How about how about that word though? Reasonable. reasonable. King James version. That's actually a very good way of representing what we do. It's reasonable. It's a reasonable thing based upon what your faith, based upon what you believe, what you understand about Jesus Christ. It's reasonable for you to say, you know what, I'm going to do this for you, Lord. Yes. Because of what you've done for me. It's reasonable. It makes sense. And you know what? Reasonable is a very appropriate word also for us because what do we wind up doing all the time? We're always reasoning. We're always thinking. 
We're always going through this thought process about stuff. It's really important. It's reasonable. You see the word obstacle up. I have it up on the board there about it's a noun. One that opposes, stands in the way of, or holds up progress or achievement. And that's from the American Heritage Dictionary. So, obstacles like this that are referenced in verse 2 in Romans 12, we're understanding that we live in Satan's domain, <coughs> fleshly living, this age, this age supports doubt and uncertainty. What do we have going on today based upon media or whatever you want looking at? I don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen to the world? Is it going to be World War III? Doubt and uncertainty. That is almost an underlying theme of today's world. But understanding the world you live in, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. If you understand it from a Christian perspective, it makes perfect sense. So you shouldn't be caught off guard by this worldly message. You've got to get past the worldly message. If you don't get past the worldly message, you're going to have struggles with faith and you're going to doubt. Okay? All of us have dealt with obstacles. Satan wants you to believe that you cannot overcome obstacles for you and for, and to give up in your efforts to improve. He has deceived millions by getting them to believe the lie. They cannot improve upon their life. They can't get better at what they do. They can't, let alone achieve something meaningful. He's deceived many people thinking there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. The father of lies will always want to drag others especially believers, down to where he is. The message I have for you, don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. If you know what your enemy is going to do and how cunning he is, you know what the enemy will do. And who gives you the information to help you with that? Jesus Christ does through the Holy Spirit. Don't let it happen. Here's a couple of cool quotes. All the adversity I've had in my life, all my troubles and obstacles have strengthened me. You may not realize it when it happens. Here's a good one. But a kick in the teeth may be the best thing in the world for you. Anybody want to guess who quoted that? Mm. No, Melvin did not. I'd, I'd take full credit for it if I did, because some <laughs> sometimes a kick in the teeth will be good for you. Believe it or not, it was Walt Disney. That's a Walt Disney quote. Yeah. All the cute cartoons, I know, like Steamboat Willie. <laughs> But you know what? He's a face, he faced a lot of... Do you know people call him crazy? I don't know if you know the story of Walt Disney. I don't know the story in detail. But Walt Disney, you talk about the ultimate dreamer. To do what he did and, and accomplish what he did, he was absolutely called crazy because of what he believed. 
he bought all this land down in Orlando. It was all swamp land. Anything anybody knows anything about Orlando or that area down there? There's a lot of marsh down there. There's a lot of stuff. He bought all this land down there. Probably got it for peanuts too, based upon what it's worth today. And now Disney World sits on it. One of the most largely visited resorts in the world. People come from all over the world to go to Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Turn that town into something totally different than what it was. Here's another one for you. Obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, or work around it. Want to take a guess? Back up and leave it alone. Back up and leave it alone. Well, you can back up and leave it alone, but find a way to get around it. (laughs) Who wants to take a guess who gave this quote? Anybody? Fine. Michael Jordan. Now, Michael Jordan was not the best basketball player when he came out of high school or college. He wasn't the best. He was, was, he was above average, but he was clearly not the best. He was not a standout. So he is the epitome of somebody who worked very hard to get where he got to win, what, six championships? It's pretty good. We need to find ways to bolster. You need to find ways to bolster your faith. Romans 5, 1 to 5. We have to bolster our faith. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained the obtained access through Him by faith into this grace which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We need to understand that those quotes by Walt Disney and Michael Jordan are a lot of what's in this passage. You have to endure... You have to have character. You have to persevere. Those are great qualities to have. Because you know you're going to be facing what? Opposition. There are people that tell, there are people that would tell you all the time if you were young, you're not going to do anything. You don't listen to them? We have a lot of people who do listen to that stuff. And they believe it. That's the sad part of it. What the believer has, righteousness by faith, (coughs) peace with God, and access to his grace through Jesus Christ. This is what you have already. This is what you already have been given based upon your belief in Jesus Christ. That's a lot. You have it right now. Don't be like the person who's like rich and you got all this stuff and you just basically don't do anything with it. 
you're already rich. Amen? Amen. What does this mean for the believer? Hope in God's glory for our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So if you have this righteousness, you have this peace with God, you've got hope. You've got hope in God's glory. You have Hope is a very, very important word. Hope is critical to what we have. We, this faith is what is, is involves what? Hope. Hope in things eternal. Hope in a better place. What it does for the believer. You overcome suffering and affliction. You have perseverance and endurance. It bolsters one's character. And it grows a love relationship with Jesus Christ through a hope and a future. So I'll leave that up there if you want to jot that down. Mm-hmm. What it does for the believer, overcomes suffering and affliction. <coughs> Let's face it, if without Jesus Christ, are you going to overcome suffering and affliction? Are you going to get through that? Without Christ, you won't. I'll just tell you right now. You might think you're tough. But without Jesus Christ, you won't get through any of that stuff. Yes, sir. Overcoming suffering and affliction doesn't mean that it stops the physical suffering or affliction. That's right. But it's the spiritual, the mental part that overcomes that suffering and affliction. That's right. Because we're going to be suffer- we're going to be afflicted and suffer in some way, shape, or form. Some of us physically. Some of us, you know, some of us even mentally, depending upon what's going on. I'm not making a joke about that, but, you know, some of us have that as an issue. And what those people have to do is what? Rely upon Jesus Christ to help them to be able to manage that and get through that. Persevere and endure. Amen to that. Bolsters of character. You know, one of the great things about this stuff, too, is that Jesus Christ, just being exposed to him, just being saved, it bolsters your character. You're going to want to do what's right. You're going to want to live right the more you're exposed to Jesus Christ. The more that He's exposed to you. That can't help but bolster your character. Ratchet you up a little bit. Yes. I think like what Gus is saying is important from the standpoint people have this tendency to believe <coughs> if I come to be a believer in Jesus Christ everything's going to be smooth sailing yeah. and go away. Or even if they believe that it might be rocky and rough, they believe at some point it just goes away and it stops. It's like, okay, this right. is point, and then this never happens. That's and right. They don't realize it ebbs and flows. That's correct. Depending on what's going on in your life. That's a, that's and a then teaching they feel issue. like, I, maybe I didn't believe correctly. Maybe I'm not a believer. Right. That's a teaching issue. Remember I say ongoing development? Just because you become a believer in Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you will never experience any pain or difficulty. That's a teaching issue. It does come in ebbs and flows. But now what you're learning about, the more you become a believer, you're learning what that word joy really means. Joy is really the key to this. Because joy is what allows you to get through and overcome suffering and addiction, uh, affliction, addiction, affliction, perseverance, 
And it does help you to grow your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can get through this, you can get through anything. And now, when you get through this and you can get through anything, now you really can see what is possible for your life. Because this stuff gets in the way if you don't understand how you can overcome it. It stops you from really believing and having faith if you allow it to just keep feeding on itself. I know this young man back here in the back is going through a lot of suffering and affliction. (coughs) And the only thing that's going to get him through is Jesus Christ. After all is said and done. There's no promises. We can talk about back surgery, we can talk about hip surgery, we can talk about... God is the one who is the ultimate healer, but we also have to look even deeper than that and say, you know what, even if this doesn't work, Lord, what now? What is he trying to teach you in the midst of this? Because I promise you, he's always teaching you. He's always teaching you no matter what you're going through. There's always a lesson somewhere in there. And the only way you're going to find that out is if you're praying about it. Remember what they said the disciples? Even though they had the ability, pray. You've got to be praying. Yes. Christ for years was a CMA pastor. C.K. Price. Yeah. Yes. Or is it Casey Price? C.K. Price. Uh-huh. Alliance pastor. Yes. And he finally, what you say? And, and uh, he left the alliance because he believed healing was a, because of sin in a person's life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He believed that up to the point of where his wife came down with cancer. And then that had challenged what he held as a premise. Mm-hmm. The reason that you were afflicted was because of your sin in your life, mm-hmm. unconfessed sin. That's right. Until it happened to her. Mm-hmm. And once it happened to her, mm-hmm. and he's up in age now, he had to change his position. He knew his wife That's right. it wasn't because of sin. That's right. Yeah. There's a passage in Scripture that talks about that. The one who needed to be healed was the, the, the man who... Yeah. Yeah. The passage where the, Jesus said, you know, this, this, this person was not afflicted because of any sin in his life. It was to do what? Make a testimony. Mm-hmm. That's right. Neither one. Mm-hmm. Well, where's the sin aspect then? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? We don't understand. And we're never going to understand all of that until we get with our Lord. <laughs> Alright. So with that in mind, any questions at all or comments or... Y'all just staring at me. I see some yawns going. All right, we're breaking for the evening. <laughs> now, just uh, just some real... Um, I want you to think about what we just discussed. It's a very interesting discussion about faith and belief, and we're going to pick this up again tomorrow, and we'll resume the discussion about these things. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you're welcome to bring them tomorrow morning. And just a quick recap, we will be, obviously they serve breakfast here for those who are staying in the hotel, uh, down here. Uh, it's free. 
come and enjoy. I, I hope they have meat. But even if they don't, we will have we will have food for you here afterward. We will be resuming here in this room at 9.05. We will probably have the room opened up because um, it will be locked overnight. If you have anything that you want uh, with you, take it with you. Um, did you want to recap real quick on any anything else? Or are we good? Okay. And with that in mind, we thank you, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Please enjoy the hotel while you're here.